Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You at the Spizzot, the place where the conversation is pointed in your face. The conversation is pointed, like I said, the guests are shot, really shot. Responses are never dull. Today we have Samantha Giannomis. This is going to be a good uh, conversation because it's going to be a 60 plus year old woman and a 30 plus year old woman having a conversation just about life and, and what goes on, because there's a lot of stuff that's happening. And there's a couple generations in there. So I want to talk to her about her journey, her story and her truth. What does it cost her? What has it bought her? What has it taught her? She is now a transformational life coach, living somewhat of a nomad lifestyle. Uh, she's come up on a big win, and we want to see how she, where she was versus where she's going and where she's headed. So let's welcome her to the show. How are you doing, Samantha? I am great. Thank you so much. And I want to say thank you for having me and the high brains. How is everybody? Great to be here. Everybody is happy. They in a good space. I see you got your psychedelic uh, colors <laughs> in the back. You feeling? Are you kind of feeling free? Uh, it's the Metatron cube. It's like sacred geometry. Uh, all the sacred geometry shapes really help with like your energy and stuff. I never believed it until I tried it. That's great. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta turn me on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll send you some links. I mean, it's really cool to study. Okay. All right. Good. So tell my brains how you show up in the world. Um, I try to show up as my best self, you know, like I, I always, ask myself what would love do you know because you can either choose to live from love or fear so i choose to show up from love all the time as much as i can you know humanly possible well that's a big responsibility because you know what people always talk about love but sometimes love is uh it's tough to give and i tell people all the time i don't you know i don't sugarcoat it i do practice conditional love i don't do unconditional love i that's just, that's just how I am. And that's what I'm made of. Now that doesn't mean I'm gonna hurt you or harm you, but just to envelop you and give you that agape love, you gotta kind of earn that with me. And if you betray me or hurt me, I dial back. I do. I still like you. <laughs> but I don't know if I can just give you that big old L-O-V-E. Am I wrong? Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't say like you're wrong. It's just like my opinion on it's a little different. Uh like I feel like we're all connected right like we're all one so the parts of you that I don't like are the parts that I deny myself that I'm like hiding from myself you know what I mean so if I can accept myself fully then I can love everybody just as fully as how I feel about it like and if you do something wrong yeah just like you you know like I'll take definitely take setbacks set healthy boundaries you know and just instill forgiveness not for the other person but for myself because if you hold on to like resentments and stuff that only hurts you. So I don't know if I answered that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I don't resent you, but I don't fuck with you. Excuse my yeah. French, but, you know, right. I, I, I put it on the shelf. I don't because it's dangerous for me. 
right. how I respond is how I process it. You know, I don't, uh, I don't bother people. I really don't, but I do not allow you to bother me. That is, there's anyway. absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is so healthy. <laughs> so you are 34 young years old. Tell us a little bit about your life story. Wow. Okay. Um, so while I was growing up, there was like a lot of traumatic things that I went through. Uh, there was molestation, abuse, physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, one of my closest relatives that I was like the closest with, I found her when she was passed away um, at a very young age. I was like, I think, six, no, seven or eight, I think. I'm not sure. But uh, I attempted suicide twice, uh, thankfully failed. You know, I, I started to have a lot of problems in school come eighth grade. And I started doing drugs to cope. Uh, it was the only way that I could feel all right. You know, like reality was just way too much for me to handle at that point. So uh, I acquired the bad drug addiction and that stayed with me until I was about 20 years old. Uh, wait, 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 let me pump my brakes a minute. You started yeah. using drugs at what age? I was in eighth grade, so I was 13. How are you getting dope at eight in, in the eighth grade? Man, well, because I didn't live at like a... When I was fit, well, yeah, I was at home. I was 15. I left, I left home. So it was easier then, but uh, it's just who, you know, you know what I mean? Like if you want to find something, you will find it. <laughs> but you know, you got to have money too. You just can't get it on your good looks. Well, yeah. I mean, I had, to, my parents gave me lunch money at that time. You know what I mean? So I would save my lunch money and it was uh, the people that I hung around were uh, much older, you know? So they were like, so you were, ditching, you were ditching school too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, over the summer of eighth grade, it was like I found the wrong crowd. And then come high school, I I never went to school. Man. Like, I really didn't. Really? Okay, so that, because I, I want to talk to that adolescent right there, because I got my eye on you. I remember <laughs> in, in junior high school, they were selling singles. Single, you know, the single joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were absolutely doing it. And, um, it was, it wasn't something that was attractive to me, but I was curious because, you know, I used to see my brothers, my brothers were older and they was, you know, they was puff, puff passing with all their friends and all that kind of stuff. But I never liked how they looked or how they felt. I was a little concerned uh, with that. Okay. So you get in this vibe with these people and your first real good experience, did you start with the, uh, with the, um, introductory drug with marijuana and then no, other things mm -mm. the oh. first drug i ever tried in my life was cocaine shut the front door <laughs> yeah i know it's crazy but that's the first drug i ever tried in my life was and you honestly, snorting it was you short snorting it shooting it no was i was uh snorting it snorting it yeah wow see that that and that's what i'm saying you know cocaine wasn't cheap so no, you were hanging out with these people yeah, and those are the kind of people that try to groom you for other oh, things. Absolutely, know? absolutely. Yeah. They, you know, and then they try to get you hung, hung out there. Uh, and I like to to say this because um, human trafficking, you know, no. and and drug dealers and gang members are doing this thing called putting these young girls on the blade. And I said, well, what is this on the blade? So they lay them in, they, you know, they put them in a hotel room and got people coming back and forth, back and forth. They don't eat. They don't really shower. 
They don't have a sense of who their family is, no connection. So my husband is a hero. He saved two young girls about two months ago. He saw them. They were like 13 and 15, and they were waving cars down. And he works in law enforcement, and he pulled over, and he said, you know, what's wrong? They said, well, our car ran out of gas. He said, car ran out of gas? Y'all don't even look old enough to have a driver's license. So he ran the plate. Trying to find out the plate was from uh, Arizona. You know, little Thelma and Louise, they didn't run away. <laughs> they got here. But my husband called and, um, you know, they reconnected them with their families. I hope and pray that their families were families that we did, a, you know, my husband did a good thing and reconnected them with. And there wasn't a lot of abuse there because that takes a lot of nerve to be, you know, 13, 14 years old, steal the car and go from Arizona, drive the car and get to California. But somebody else could have picked them up and completely turned their life around. So yeah. you get yourself in this situation, you start using cocaine uh, and it becomes an addiction. At first it didn't become addiction, but now these people are seeing that you're liking it a little bit. And so then they're giving you a little bit more. Um, where are your parents in this? Are they paying attention to you not going to school? Are they so disruptive in their own life that, you know, they're not really paying attention to what you're doing? what's going on they were pissed i mean they were really upset that i wasn't going to school but i mean i felt so like unhurt you know with everything going on at home uh i mean like like them finding out i was gay you know what i mean like every like everything was so chaotic and i guess i was just like in rebellion like rebellion stage because i mean i'm trying to explain my feelings but you're not really listening and i don't know how to communicate any better so i'm just gonna shut down i just shut down and it didn't matter what they thought, you know, and then uh, I left home when I was 15. Somebody technically kidnapped me, you know, like this girlfriend I was with at the time. Uh, I called my parents. They didn't believe me. And they said that I ran away and I was like, you know what, I'll just stay gone. So I left home at that point. Okay. So you left home, you was kidnapped, you searching for your sexual identity and you high on cocaine and you're not, <laughs> and you're not, and you're not going to school. Girl, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not judging. I'm just laying it out because you're not the only one. Okay. I'm from Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles and I see the young people living on the streets of Holly weird, you know, doing whatever it is that they could. I knew this young uh, kid that was living on the streets of Hollywood. He had a disease that his skin was falling off of his body. And <laughs> The strangest things. People would hold a joint for him so he could hit it. And his skin was literally falling off of his body, off of his face, off of his arms, his hands deteriorating. And he said that he would rather be out there deteriorating than to be in a destructive relationship with his parents. So they, they must have been a cold piece, his parents there. And it's so hard when you're not heard, you know, because a lot of times people don't understand and they better get with this gayness because it is people can actually be born with two X's and a Y or two Y's and an X. They can be born transgender. There's hermaphrodites that are born with two of, you know, two different sexual organs. And then their parents have to sit up there and decide who they want to be. We groom our children from the onset when they come out. 
If it's a girl, we're going to put her in pink and give her a doll and tell her to be soft-spoken, this, that, and the other. If it's a boy, we're going to put him in blue and he, and he's going to play with trucks. Okay, but that may not be who they are. I get it. We're going along with the status quo. So let's talk to the parents that are jacked up. What do you say to them? What, what, what kind of conversation with you after all you've been through that you would say to them so that they could magnify their hearing for their children? I mean, that's, that's your baby. You know, that is your child that you birthed and raised. Like you should love your child no matter what. And I mean, that does not directly affect your life. So why do you care so much? I mean, it's heartbreaking. You know, like my parents were so against it at one point, you know, now it's different. They accept me for who I am. But like, I was like locked in the closet with the Bible and like was told to read about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's so much more traumatizing when you do not have support because you already feel like an outcast because of what society portrays on everybody. Like, it's just, it's so hard. And it's not like we chose this, you know, like, it's not like we're like, you know what? just gonna be gay and it's like you know be rebellious or just because you know everybody hates it and i just want to be different no like we can't help it and for you to shun your children because of who they are that's just it's wrong and it i don't know i feel like that stems from issues that you have with yourself you know as like a person like you need to heal yourself (laughs) and you know what else is is very perverted (laughs) i talk to people all the time you know i do and I asked him, okay, I'm, and I'm going to have you define this for me too. But when a person says that they're gay, what is the first thing that people think about? It's how they get down. Oh, yeah. It's, it's how they have an orgasm. They don't look at the color of their skin. They don't look at their wavy hair. They don't look at their education. They don't look at anything else but how this person is going to get off. That's none of your damn business. It's really not. That's crazy. That is what they think. Okay, so now you are a woman in this space. Okay. And you told me that you you've you've tossed it back and forth with your own identity and sexuality. Right. So what does it mean to be a lesbian? What does it what does it feel like to be a, a you know a lesbian woman? I don't know how to explain that. I mean, uh it just feels I don't know. It just feels normal to like, so with, with me, it might be a little different. Like, cause there were some things that I went through that had confused me a lot, you know, and I just started like digging deeper on it and discovering more about my sexuality, like a few, the past few years. So like, I guess when I was, I don't know, like it felt really like kind of discriminatory a little bit. Like people were judging me. I mean, does it, not so much, it, not so much socially, but I mean, did you have a longing and an attraction for you know oh, women when you yeah. when you saw when you saw girls you know that just kind of lit you up and you know made your lip smack? Uh, yes. did, when you and and I put this in there too. Do you think that your um, your preference or your choice might have been influenced because you were abused? Because I know some women that have been abused by men, and they say they don't never want to see a penis, and if they do, they'll ch- they'll chop it off. So sometimes, you know, sometimes that abuse causes you to say, you know what, I want the the longing, I want the tenderness, I want the emotion, um, I want the, the the sexuality and the compassion. 
of someone like me that can feel like me and can nurture and love me like me and not violate me, hurt me or penetrate me. Am I overstepping my thinking here? No, I mean, yeah, that that's definitely relatable. There's definitely situations that would cause that. And then for a while there, like I was in denial about that fact, you know, like for a long time, like growing up, that was predominantly, I think why I started to lean more towards women. Like I was always attracted, but like, like I've been back and forth, you know, but all of the trauma that I experienced with men made me lean predominantly more towards women. And it wasn't until my later years that I uh, start to evaluate that and actually get to a point where today I can be like, well, it's not gender, it's your soul. You know, like if I connect with your soul, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if we have that connection, then that's what's important, you know, but other people, you know, aren't, aren't that way. So like for them, so you would consider yourself, you know, and I don't want to label you. I'm just trying to get the conversation going bisexual. I mean, I guess if there had to be a label, that would be what it would be, I guess. Yeah. All right. So brains, you know, she likes variety. But, and, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's different too, because they want the ruggedness. They want the security. They want the, the, um, the embrace. You see a lot of people now in Hollywood that are struggling to come out with who they are. I really don't care. It would make your life so much easier. You know, then you could do what you could do, and that would not be something that somebody could hold against you. Yeah. It's like the color of my skin. There's nothing I can do about being black, but wear it as a badge of honor. So don't you think that it's easier when when you identified and you came out living your life or living it in secret? What was what was the challenge there? It was so much it was so much more liberating, you know, to like because I was always, I always labeled myself, I'm a lesbian, I'm a lesbian, I'm a lesbian. I was doing it for protection, right? So there was always that internal battle because I was attracted to men as well, but I was just like hiding that part away from me. So I was lying to everybody and myself and the weight of that was ridiculous. Like I didn't realize how liberating it could be to just be honest and just let it come out. Dude, like there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, and if you judge me, you don't need to be in my life anyway. Like, I know who I am. I love who I am. And this is who I am. If you don't like it, that's it. Like, oh, well. So, I mean. It's hard for people that, that live and live a lie. You know, I woke up and Mr. Magnificent told me that I wasn't his flavor. Girl, after 40 years, <laughs> I probably beat him to the white meat show. Only because he's been lying all this time, you know, and you've been taking me to bed with you and your boyfriend. Yeah, there would be an issue there. Not so much of that, because I don't want nobody that don't want me. And if I don't make you happy, I want to set you free. Right. Okay, I, I'm, I'm mature enough to handle that. But people that live these alternative lives, they're lying to themselves. Is it the thrill that they seek? It can't be shame because, I mean, it, you know, to say it, gay it or like lesbian or trans, it, it's not, is there still a lot of stigma about people being gay? Really? Yeah, dude, there's, there's shame. Like for me, there was a lot of shame, you know, there's a lot of shame. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of resentment, you know, like it was, it's crazy. It's not just the thrill of hiding lies, you know, like I hate lying. <laughs> it was the hardest thing. What, what, what were you ashamed of? That, um, you, that you liked, you know, to, you know, kiss a well, girl or 
yeah, yeah. I mean, because I don't know, dude, like I had this identity that I built around myself and then I fell in love with a man and I, I don't know, like I just, I felt so scared to be honest with the people around me that seen me built the stigma that I'm a dark hard lesbian and like it did it was crazy and like I ruined that relationship of, with a man I was in love with because of my shame and my guilt it was insane Are you honest with him did you tell him that you like to get down with girls yeah I mean he knew absolutely he knew but like he didn't know that I fell in love with him like that dude and it scared the shit out of me because like that made me feel like everything was like a stretch in my identity i didn't know how to handle that at the time and i'm like am i gay I, i've been gay my whole life like what am i what am i doing like da, da, da. what is everybody gonna think my all my friends it was crazy like i so you felt like you were once you came out as gay you felt that you um you know that you were pigeonholed or your mindset was fixated on just this one particular thing. And we can't deviate from that because that's going against the code. It was my trauma that made me feel that way. Like, wow. absolutely. Yeah, like, I didn't realize the depth of all this trauma that I was storing, like, in my body, in my mind. Like, I had no idea until a few years ago when I started to study, like, how to, you know, how to uplift me spiritually and how to love myself and, like, your self-identity like it, it's crazy how you tell this story to yourself and convince yourself of one certain way and then it, it's just wild like it was my own trauma that made me feel that way and I did not know how to deal with it at the time okay so what was the awakening well the awakening I mean that was when it was I just I couldn't anymore you know like I lost everything at that point uh and I just, I started praying like really hard, praying to God just to show me a way. And I listened to my intuition and in the throes of all of the craziness, like me taking the steps and still fighting my addiction at the time, just, he put somebody in my life that gave me an opportunity to become a journeyman union painter, which was a massive, like huge step in the right direction towards like my career and stuff. So I took him up on it, even though everybody said that was impossible. Like, you're crazy. Why are you going to trust this guy? You don't even know him. You met him in like a drug hole. But I, I did it and it completely changed my life. And it gave me the money to be able to be like, okay, so I'm going to really invest in myself. Like now I can get my own apartment. Now I can get my own truck. And I got my license taken care of and everything. And then I just started to seek answers. I'm like, look, like, I feel like I can be so much more. Like, I feel like I can be so, so much more. So I started studying and I found a few mentors and the money that I was going to use on drugs, right? At the time I could use to further my self-development, personal development. So I started investing in myself. Okay. So what happened with the drug? Just one day you said, you know what? I'm done. Like for years, I was hating myself you know because it it escalated you know like i i got seriously addicted to methamphetamines and i was an mm -hmm. IV drug user so it Look at you, and you got pretty teeth you thank god for that too because girl yeah, like, yeah. I see, and pretty skin i have seen what meth can do to people and it's terrible i didn't you know i snort, and i just ask people because they say it's a different type of high versus snorting versus uh and and you know what the <laughs> brains if you got kids you might want to turn this part oh, off yeah. but one of my gay friends said that they they like to do the booty bumps 
I know people. I've never done that. They put methamphetamine on the tip of a penis. Oh. Wait, on the tip of the penis and then have sex. They say that they that or that orgasm and that high lasts for days. Oh my gosh. I would I don't know. I wouldn't know. Never I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm saying to myself, you know, now that's so they're snorting it, there's ingesting it, there's injecting it, there's penetrating it. That methamphetamine is something else. And now, are people scared? Because, you know, they have here in uh, San Diego, they have these drug kits that you can tell if fentanyl is in your drugs before you use them. I mean, I think that's really smart to do it because if there's going to be addicts, you know, people are dying so many times a day from fentanyl. Like, people that use methamphetamines, fentanyl has no business being in there in anything, really, but if you can't completely stop the epidemic, then I think it's, it's smarter to provide those tools so you can try to prevent death mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. much as possible. It's freaking what is a methamphetamine high versus a cocaine high versus a heroin high. Um, mm-hmm. So methamphetamines, like for me, because it makes, I've, I've watched people completely go insane, like lose all fragments of their reality. just, it's insane methamphetamines is nothing to mess around with but for me it was crazy it it made me more in tune with my reality like I didn't have racing thoughts all the time like I was able to super focus on things and get everything done and for days like I would be up for like three four days at a time and just be able to get so much work done like at the time I was working as a painter in North Carolina and I would work like 19 hours a day, like straight up and just be fine. So you're so it's an upper. So you're you're constantly yeah. on a on a, a, a upward trajectory. You're you're yeah. it's a and speed. So not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then when you crash and burn, are it's you tweaking and twitching? Are you craving it again to stay on that same high? Because I know people that 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 smoke crack. And they oh. say, you know, you never, they say you never get that. Once you get that first hit, you don't never get it. You're just never trying to maintain it. it the, you're just trying to maintain it the whole time. And yes, brains, I'm from South Central LA. I've never had a drug problem, but mother has lived and I have seen a lot. So you can, you know, tick off the boxes and quit asking the questions. Cause I would tell you, <laughs> I would tell you. Okay. So crack is terrible, man. I was, a uh, that was the basis of my addiction from young until I was like in my mid-20s and then I started doing meth and that like replaced it which crazy enough I was thankful for because crack is insane like that is you'll you dude it's insane like it it is a horrible drug (laughs) yeah but you know I and I I just don't they're both uh an upper they're both a, a speed but what is the difference? One lasts longer than the other. It's it's a different yeah. effect on your mind and your psyche. And it-, it definitely is like all of that. It really is all of that. Uh, with crack, when I used to smoke crack cocaine, um, I would get super high for like five minutes and then you're looking for your next hit. You know, mm. It's crazy. Like it's insane. And you're chasing that and it never comes back. And you're stealing shit because you just spent all of your money getting like it's it's insane it, like so methamphetamine is cheaper than cocaine yeah yeah actually and like, they can smoke methamphetamine too right yeah 
these people. That's you know, sad. It broke down. It broke down the uh, the family unit, the black family. Uh, because, yeah. Uh, the crack cocaine. Uh, I'm not even. That's a whole other show. But I'm I'm not going to tell you my philosophy on that. How that was injected in our communities. Okay? I believe it. And so once the black man got hooked on that, and the black woman said, "You know what? You better get out of here, Joker." You taking the TV and you're not coming home for days and you're looking all crazy and twitching and got all this crust in the side of your mouth and in your eyes and talking to me crazy. Uh, you got to get up out of here. And so it deteriorated the relationship between the black man and the black woman to the point where she became so strong that she started to emasculate the man, good man. And there was a breakdown in the family unit. And there's such a stigma, though, with women that are on drugs or on alcohol, because uh, women aren't supposed to do that. You know, they are the bottom feeders. You know, you got kids and you out here smoking crack. Well, she's trying to cope just like everybody else is trying to cope. And she's doing what she has to do to get that next hit. But what they also do is they subject their children to so much trauma because your children are watching that. You know, they're watching yeah. you destroy yourself and they're begging you. If anybody in the world, mama, get yourself together because we love you. We need you. So don't worry about the shame associated. You got to get the help. I think yeah. it's so important for addicts to slow down and look at themselves in the mirror and deal with their pain so they can get better i mean it's a choice like i hate to say it like that because i used to be like oh addiction's a disease like i really like and it is but you you have a choice i mean you can choose to run your life instead of allowing your addiction to run your life it's hard it's freaking a long road but you can do it like do you remember your first day of detox it was horrible because the methamphetamines I was using at the time had fentanyl in it. And that caused an opiate freaking withdrawal that I've never experienced in my life. And I felt like I was dying. Dude. I honestly do not know how heroin addicts like constantly relapse. Like it's, it sucks, man. I, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Dude. Like it was, it was horrible. I had a call out of work for like a week. Like it was insane. It was absolutely insane. So you just sat there and you just, you, you did it by yourself? Yeah. Did you to do it by yourself or were you in a program and got some help? No, I did it by myself. You know, I didn't have resources to like get into rehab and all that stuff. And I don't know, like I just, I did it by myself. What made you do it? Well, uh, I went, I, I, I missed, right? Like I went to do a shot and I missed and I had this huge thing on my arm. First time that's ever happened. And I realized that I really don't have any freaking veins left in my arms. Like I'll have to start going somewhere else. And I always made that promise, like, dude, if that happens, then that shit's out of control. Like, you need to stop. And I realized, like, dude, like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. And I looked at my animals and I just, that was enough, dude. Like, I was so tired of, of the cycle, you know, like, get clean, relapse, repeat, like, build my life up, relapse, everything collapses, rebuild. It's, it was crazy, you know, and I was just done, dude. Like, I was, I was just done. I deserve better. You know, I was sober for three years in my 20s and I remembered that and I remembered who I could be and I wanted to be that person again because that is me. You know, like my addiction is not going to run my life. So I just made the choice, the decision. And it was hard, dude. 
Like it was so hard. I even had a freaking little lockbox with like an emergency just in case I decide to fuck up stash. It was crazy. Like it took me two months to throw that away. You know, like, but I threw it away and it was just baby steps, dude. You know, you I know it's like uh stereotypical, but just for today, you know, just for this minute, like I'm not gonna use like I didn't go to any program. How long now? Uh four years now. Four years. Yeah. Going on four years. But cleaning beyond your veins and the paraphernalia and the drugs, you gotta clean your circle of influence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, like you, you gotta get away from them jokers because you see it, you know, you smell it, uh, your mouth starts to water, you start to think about how you feel when you're in that certain space. Yeah. See, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, because for years, like that was my I would I would run from my addiction. I'd like be like, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna get clean so I can't be in this environment anymore. So I would move, literally move to a different state or a different part of the freaking part of the state. And then I'd be clean for a while and I'd build my life up and then I'd want to relapse. And if you want to find something, you'll find something. So I'd find it. And da, da, da. This past time, I couldn't run from it. Like I had to face my addiction and I had to stare it in the face all the time and still be strong and true to myself. Like that was my journey. So, I mean, yeah, like you should, you don't have to, just me saying, like you don't have to move your whole self out of the situation. You just need to cut off the people that are around like and be strong enough to keep them cut off delete their numbers like forget they even exist and do yourself that that grace you know it's show yourself the love a lot of times you know i i've seen people get clean and then they want to go back and they want to you know they want to be the savior they want to clean up other people and you got to do it when you're ready when you have had enough when you're tired you know, when you've been there and been resuscitated two or three times, when your family doesn't want to have anything to do with you, when you look in the mirror and you don't even recognize the person that you are, when mm-hmm. you look at your kids and, you know, they're ashamed that their mother is even coming around because of what you're doing or your kids have been taken away or you sitting there in a jail cell tweaking, you know, so it's not a good look. It's not sad, man, because there's so much pain in addicts, dude. Like, there's so much undealt with pain and trauma that we've been through that we're just ignoring and don't know how to express. And that's why people use to escape the pain that they're feeling. Like, they're trying to take themselves to a different reality where they're not hurting as bad or where they don't hate themselves as much. And that is, like, truly so heartbreaking. Like, there's so much pain in this world. Like, it's crazy. Because you're numb. You know, you, you're numb. And when you're numb, you feel that nothing can penetrate you. But trust me, it's like being in a snowstorm, baby. The sun's going to come out and you are going to thaw out. Yeah. And the reality is going to be there and you're going to have to face it. But you don't have to face it alone because you got great people like Samantha that have now turned mm-hmm. their life around and is a transformational coach. So what do you mean by transformation? That's, you know, you're going to turn me into a frog. What you going to do, baby? <laughs> You know, how are you going? How do you now have the skill set to help me transform into a better version of myself? So, in my case, like in my years of study and stuff, um, I've utilized so many tools. Like it's it's your mindset, you know, like it's how you think and how you feel about yourself, how you picture yourself, like how you perceive certain things in your life, like certain instances or events in your life, how you think about the past. Uh, this it's so much to like, you really have to do 
a deep dive on your internal world, you know? So, cause your, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. And if you have chaos out here, then stuff is not right in here. Like you need to sit with yourself. You need to figure out your core values, your away from values, what you run away from, like, and just really figure out who you are. So you can take the parts of you that you would like to make better and change that, you know, beliefs are like Velcro, even though people make them seem like they're super glue, you know, like people will attach anything to them that they really believe. And it's like, they can't change it. It's impossible, but it's not, you know, you beliefs are like Velcro. You can easily change a belief anytime you want. It's just a matter of your perception. Well, and what you're exposed to, because you can't do better if you don't know better. Exactly. If you are- you know, if you down at the bottom, you don't know what the top looks like. Or when right. you're at the top and you fall to the bottom, you know, I, I tell this story all the time. I was talking to my girlfriend. She got, you know, a gang of money. And I said, well, what would happen if you just lost all your money and you didn't have that? She said, girl, I would get sharp. I would get dressed and I'd go back to the same place that I was. And I said, why? She said, because it would rub off on you. Well, I need you to understand the reverse of that too, Blaine, you are what you eat. So if you are in a situation that is downtrodden and you're trying to do better, you need to clean yourself up and start moving with the people that's doing better. You can't hang around them same old bottom feeders because you're going to be like plankton, the scum of the earth, and you're not going to be able to get beyond that. And you got to want it. You got to do the work. Everything you got to do the work. It's not easy, you know? Dr. Cornell West told me even being born is not easy because you come into a place between urination and defecation. You're delivered in a puddle of blood and slime. And as soon as somebody gets you out of there, after they're going to squeeze your head, now they're going to smack your bottom or thump your foot. So it's traumatic when you come, (laughs) you know. But as you progress, they throw you a party. They buy you pretty things. They hug you. They kiss you. They feed you. They love you. They nurture you. And then you have, you know, free will and choice. But on the opposite side of that, you're going to go out the same way with some sort of trauma. You're going to be squeezed out, forced out, cut out, pushed out. But when you transform, there's a party on the other side. So we're going to look forward to the party on the other side without drugs and alcohol, okay? Because I heard that the streets are lined with milk and honey and gold. and It's a good thing. It is. So when you have this conversation with your God, I call it Gus, God, universe, spirit. You know, <laughs> it be a he, a she, a we. And you sit down and you talk. Are you always asking for something? No. Are you? I mean, because some people say, like, oh, Lord, they do. I want a car. I want a husband. I want this. And that. Sometimes you just sit in silence and just wait to hear. And if you don't hear anything, are you okay with that as well? Absolutely. I mean, like I used to always pray like, oh, please don't do this. Please do that. Like I need this. And, it, and I, when I started my studies, like I realized that's not the beneficial way to pray i mean like you're you're coming from lack that way like oh i need this because i lack it you know that's not that's not good because god will give you anything that you ask for and that you feel that you have and if you feel that you're lacking something you'll just see more lack mirrored into your reality 
you're it's it's wild how it works so now like i just i sit there in thanksgiving like and i don't like i talk to god all the time like i feel like god is part of me you know like we're all part of god every single one of us like and we all have unbelievable gifts that he has instilled in us you know that we can use that we just need to tap into and one of them being prayer and coming in thanksgiving and feeling like you already are that which you seek because you are so and i mean if you like when i sit there and i'm silent and i don't hear anything it's fine like i feel the presence you know i know god is always with me because i mean i am a part of god like i am that i am if i sit and i don't hear anything i think i'm i think i'm being tested i think i'm being tested because god is saying okay you're in the moment you're not asking for anything and I'm not offering anything. So really, where are you? And I'm the most present because I don't need anything right now. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, am I in a place of um, being very philanthropic? Am I giving at that point? What, what kind of energy am I giving off? You know, who needs me to sit there and just hold space for them? So silence is good, brains. Don't always be asking for something. Because be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Let's ask <laughs> some fun questions. This has been kind of heavy. If you could pick any career in the world outside of what you're doing, what would you be? What would you do? I would run a no-kill shelter on like 300 acres fenced in with tiny homes on the property for veterans, ex-felons, and recovering addicts that can stay in there while they volunteer their time to take care of the animals and the land. And I would have like a spiritual center on the property and a counselor on site to help anybody that is going through some things. So that's, that's what Did I was. You hear that, Brains? I know some rich people. Did you hear that? This is her dream. This is what she wants to do. Contact her. If you got some land that you're not doing nothing with. Cause I know y'all got some land. You ain't doing nothing. With. And we'll get some solar panels and we'll have the, the under, uh, underserved and overlooked dig the trenches for the water okay make a dream come true make a wish if you were an appliance in the kitchen samantha what appliance would you be oh, a dishwasher you know because i can relate so much <laughs> like i go in so dirty and now i'm like sparkly clean well you know it's it's fun <laughs> that's sweet that's sweet i'll be the refrigerator i just want to chill <laughs> <laughs> If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? Oh, um, maybe a dog. A dog. Uh, like my dogs are my best friends, man, and they have they have helped me and they have saved my life, you know. And if I could be that for another person and just be their their companion and their trauma, like that'd be cool. Well, you know, dog is God spell back yeah oh yeah i think of that that's cool <laughs> i'd be the party animal complete opposite oh yes i'd be the party animal i'd rock it till the wheels fall off that's awesome <laughs> that's for sure. if you were a flower in the garden what flower would you be um a hibiscus i mean i really love hibiscus and just Ooh, the smell so good yeah they're nice too they are i'd be a tulip <laughs> a little while you know i like to be in a lot of different colors a lot of different places and spaces but when i bloom i just kind of want to just be out there just everywhere so i love tulips i love tulips 
Um, and in closing, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you and remember about you? I'm, I'm building my legacy now. You know, it's how you show up. So I want to be remembered as just being the best version of myself I could be. That I'm kind, um, humble, and I'm generous. You know, and I just I help. You know, like that's all I really want to do is just help people because I know what it's like to feel so tra traumatized and like stuck. So just somebody that sheds awareness and helps raise consciousness of the planet. Well, you are there to raise the frequency and I'm so proud of you. I am. Uh, thank you for sharing your conversation with me, you know, because it was it was real. And there's a lot of people out there. We're not the only ones. Brains. In everyone's family, you had one person that's went to jail and you had another person that's been on some sort of addiction, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling. And there's no people that are unscathed from that. So to sit in judgment, we're all going to do that. We're all going to say, if I could have, would have, should have, and that ain't going to be me, this, that, and the other. But what you have to do is look in that mirror and attest to who you are and what you do. Okay. And what harm you've done and take stock of that and make corrective action. Thank you so much, Samantha. You are the best. Tell my brains how to get in contact with you if they want to, you know, talk to you, walk beside you, hold space with you, or dig trenches in that piece of quality land with this these tiny homes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh again, thank you so much and thank you, Brains, for listening. Uh, you can reach me on Facebook, Samantha Giannolis on Facebook. You'll see my picture or TikTok. It's my at Samantha Giannolis, all one word. I'm going to put all that information at the back of the interview. I need, you. Leave, I need you guys to leave a comment, love, like, share, and subscribe. Tell us how you're feeling. If there's more information, if there's resources that you're looking for, if you need somebody to talk to, if you're a parent that has a child that's struggling, if you are a runaway and you want to run to a safe haven, if you want to get off of drugs, I mean, you really want to get off, it takes time, but there's people that are going to be patient with you and going to love you through it and hold space for you. And me and Samantha are two of them. Absolutely. All right, Brian, take care of yourself. Bye. <laughs>